Hello and welcome again to the Bald Move Television Show, Bald Move TV, the the officially unofficial podcast about all of television. All I'm your of host. It. I'm your host, Aaron, and joining me today is Cecily. And uh, we're going to be talking about a lot of stuff today: American Gods, Handmaid's Tale, and Dear White People. It's we heavy. are we're the a lot of heavy I, stuff. I, you know, I'd just like to thank uh, the that that nice young black woman for writing me uh, a, a missive. What? She, she's 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 uh, we're the white people that she's talking to. Oh, and I thought you were talking about the show creator. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, he's a he, he is a black man. He is a black man. Uh, I listened to uh, a lengthy interview with him on uh, Andy and Chris's show on The Ringer. We just want to talk about that show up front. Uh, I wasn't going to, but damn it, you're forcing my hand, <laughs> uh, dear white people. So this is super controversial, uh, incredibly, because. Um, White people have a hard time listening to black people talk about their authentic experiences in life. You know what? Why isn't there a white history month? You know, I've, <laughs> I've thought that every single time we have a black history month. Yep. Like why? Why don't we teach white history in America? It's crazy. It's crazy because there's so much of it. There's there so is. much of it. Like I open up a history book and it's just full of like black history, Native American culture, uh, you know, the English and the French. It's just, but not, not, not enough white I, I America in my culture. Of what I was taught was white history, and it just seems a shame that we just have Black History Month when there's all that right. white history on the table. Um, so the deal is, um, I think it's interesting because if you look on Netflix, this has got like a two and a half star rating. Does it? Similarly to Amy Schumer's new Netflix special, which is sitting atop a lofty one star rating. Is it really? Oh yeah. Um like the, the people are just not liking the politics or not liking the views espoused and are are downvoting properly. And and it's funny because I I saw the statement the showrunner made and's like he's not mad about like the backlash or the boycott. He says it just kind of proves the point that um you know that that and and I and I understand like why it's uncomfortable. Like if you if you believe in like a post-racial America and you come in and you tune into this television show, it's got to be like a slap in the face. It's essentially like going into marriage counseling with what you think is, uh, you know, it's a happy marriage, but, you know, maybe there's a tweak here and there. And then you listen to your mate talk for a half hour about just how desperately unhappy and how angry they are about how unfair the situation is. And you just can't fucking believe it. And you never come back to counseling because you just aren't prepared to hear those things. You can't fucking believe how how just um, ungrateful and uh, and and, and wrong headed and and whiny it all is. Um, right. yes. So I mean I I don't know what to say because this it's interesting because I found myself like um, you just have to kind of let this wash over you and there's a lot of this stuff that I I watch because. Um, and there's been a lot of this, like Atlanta and um, uh, Insecure right. touches a lot of issues that even I'm not. Like, it's, it's something that's, like, in the black community, like, the way their attitudes towards homosexuality. It's almost as if all kinds of different people have all kinds of different experiences. And that's the other thing is that and, they, they touch on the fact that you've got, like, these kind of, uh, you know, I'm not sure they'd identify as Republicans, but like the black Republicans, they're from the wealthier families and, yeah. and, and the fact that like if you like privilege isn't like a binary concept. Like, you know, if you're a white person and you have that white privilege, that doesn't mean that life is an easy street for you. And it doesn't mean that just because you're black means that you have every set of stereotypical disprivileges that, 
that 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 people might be able to name it's like a big it's a spectrum right and like you know there's also male and female there's gay and straight there's gender identity there's political identity there's social and economic status there's physical attractiveness right which all these people are crazy good looking. They're insanely good looking. <laughs> I, and I, I've gotten used to like, oh, here's Anne Hathaway and she's got dumpy clothes on and she's got thick frame glasses and she's not wearing hardly any makeup or at least she's, and she's, she's, she's reading as ugly so she can be transformed to princess. But I was stunned this Lionel kid when yeah. they, when they get, when, when he got a haircut, um, get his first Good haircut. Got, got his first good haircut because he finally found the barber who wasn't going to shame him for being a homosexual. Oh, yeah. Um, and, he's I mean, stunning. You see... He's so good looking. Yeah. It's like Steve Urkel turning, Urkel turning Urkel. into Stefan Urkel. It's like, holy shit. <laughs> right. And, uh, what's he going to do after college? Who's he going to go to cut his hair? Is he just going to come back to Troy forever? I don't know. Maybe he'll go to a salon. Do you think there's a will they, won't they kind of thing? No. No, no, no. Man, oh, I'm Troy... joking. Okay. I th- okay. But Troy, he seems to, you know, Troy have loves- all kinds of taste. I right. think that, you know, for his um, his episode that we got to focus on him on, he is sleeping with everyone, all the women that y- right. you would expect him to. Right. Then he has a relationship with a, a lesbian teacher. Uh-huh. Or bisexual, I guess, is what an you call old, her. An older lesbian. Right. Um, s- some sort of professor. I'm not sure what she uh, studied. Black history. What? Or, is uh, it really? African-American studies, rather. Okay. All right. Black I, history. I'm, I, <laughs> there's no, I, what was it? Does it last a day? <laughs> it's like, yes. a, you know, uh, a tenth of a credit for that. Um, what do yeah. you call her? Uh, uh, what do you call it? Per, or celebrity lecturer. Not celebrity, right. but right. Uh, I don't know. I don't know either. Uh, she just she just lectures through the month of February. Oh, I got you. I got you. Guest lecturer. Guest lecturer. Yeah. Uh, but it starts off with this. Um, it's it's interesting premise because it starts off with um, this character Sam who has a a a a controversial radio show on campus called Dear White People, mm-hmm. where she essentially kind of lectures the white kids on campus about how they are, you know, even though they're in an elite school that might think that they are above concepts such as class and racism uh she's telling them that they're not Mm -hmm. and she finds out that at one point in protest of her show they were the the one of the the rich white kid frats were planning a black newspaper oh is it is a newspaper college newspapers Uh, was, was, was planning a a blackface party and cooler heads prevailed and they're like you know they they were just quote unquote woke enough to realize, <laughs> oh, we can't do this. But they, you know, it was far enough in the planning stages. They had a flyer going and all that. She got in possession of it and then printed them out. And, and then the party went, went, went to, went, went on as, as, as a not planned, I guess. Yeah. And she, you can see all of the reactions to like, well, this was kind of a trap. And then her reaction was, well, if it was a trap, it shouldn't have sprung because what white person in the right mind goes to this party for blackface and it's so interesting because you and i've had a kind of relevant experience with this because um my son formerly went to a school that is 100 percent white there are no black kids to be found there are mm-hmm. no black families to be found in this community and it was a STEM class, science, technology, engineering, math, like the kids that are like in the top echelons of like, you know, so these are kids yes. that are like smart and fairly well educated and paying attention at school. And they're assigned different 
historical figures to research and dress like and then give a presentation and one the black one well, I'm sorry one of the, the a little a little blonde girl about 9 years old uh got George Washington Carver and showed up in full on full on blackface it was sh- shocking right shocking ignorance that nobody commented on it at all while right. we were walking by or and I'm uh, amazed at how teacher, many... The teacher, they did a, had to have done a dress rehearsal, and the teacher approved this right. to and, go forward. And, and I'm amazed at how many people, when I've explained that story, how many white people have have looked at me completely confused and like, well, what, what else was she... How are you supposed she, to dress like... How, how are you supposed driver? to... Yeah. Like, the skin tone is the most important thing about embodying that character. Right. Right. <laughs> Not their like like you'd be confused if you just saw a a blonde girl in a suit and 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 some sort of wig and she was just explaining the accomplishments and she has a picture of the man that she's supposed to be right there. Like right. I don't know. I I it's it it was crazy. But, you know, I I've, I've seen a lot of commentary in like though this is just made if I just would never happen. Like bullshit. Bullshit right. happens. Like Every year, celebrities during Halloween are busted for doing what they think are hilarious black. Like when Orange and New Black came out, I can't remember who it was, but uh, oh, it was, Juli- they- it was Julianne Huff dressed oh. like uh, Crazy Eyes. Okay, yeah, yeah. like it, it happens and and it's gross. And if you don't understand why it's gross, I don't. Then ha- this, this show is for you. This show, I mean, yes, this show is for you. And and also, it's 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 on you to kind of like when someone says this bothers and hurts me. Like you're not your job isn't to talk them out of why they're bothered or hurt. Your job right, is right. It's educate. not about making your perspective known. It's about getting some other perspective from a different life experience. Right. And that's the thing is um, the other the other unfortunate thing about race relations is when you got to deal. It's it, it's all bound up with the the term minority, right? That, you know, you've got this minority experience that, and they live it, right? And, but everyone in the majority kind of comes up, brushes up against it. And it's like this unique exotic thing. Like, Oh, that's such a pretty name. Where does it come from? Like you think you're taking interest. You look so exotic and beautiful. Where did you get that, uh, coloring from? Exactly. Um, (sighs) which I've, I've seen that a lot more than blackface and it's, just as bad. And people don't, they, they think they're being nice or taking an interest, but you, what you don't understand is for this person, this happens several times a week, perhaps a day. A day right. And it just continually reinforces them that I'm not a real You're Amer- different. I'm different. I'm not from here. I'm an outsider. And, you know, and our goal to be a melting pot, we shouldn't be doing that. I mean, that's certainly a question... Like if you're into a stage a relationship with person where you you're you're a friend and you've had several dinners and you're ready to talk about some beyond the surface things about your backgrounds and families and upbringing, then sure bring it right. up. Right, it's then. a natural part of getting to know someone to ask about their family, parents. I mean, I I do it sometimes. I love asking people what their parents look like, but I mean, sure. that's not the first thing you ask someone. It's not something that you'd ask a stranger. It's not something you'd ask someone serving you food or trying to fix your cell phone or walking down the street. Right. Um, but there's lots of things like that that I think are fascinating. And like the latest episode, well, it's not the latest episode because it's all Netflix just came out like a shotgun. We've seen the first three. Right. Uh, and roughly chapter one is about Sam, the radio show. So, uh, and, yeah, and, and, and each- her, and her, the fact that she's just like, I wouldn't say militant because that might have some. She's a little bit more radicalized than a lot of the other people. And what do they call the, the, their group? It's not the Black Caucus, is it? Yeah, it's 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 something like that. It's they like have the different black like, student body, right? They have different, you know, f- 
uh, factions of black people, including the Black Caucus and the Black. I forget all. I forget all the yeah. names. I didn't go to college. <laughs> the 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 birds. Um, yeah. So they all have their weekly meeting, and she's a little bit more radicalized, and she kind of set herself up for a downfall because I'm not going to say it's a, it's an equal problem, but she just made it clear that it's all about you know black. About black culture and inclusion and all well, she of that. She made a statement about, she, about black women dating white men are kind of like race traders. Right. And while she, she's dating a, a white guy. Right. So guess what? It's a human experience to just be a hypocrite. <laughs> right. And also like the kind of the shoe being on the other foot when this guy goes to hang around her black friends and, you know, he's made to feel very other and different. And she's and got she a point. she doesn't help with that either. And she's got a point with like, oh, well, this is one day out of your life. This is my life every day. And he's also got a point with like, if that might be true, but if we were around my friends and they were behaving that way, I it, w- it wouldn't have been cool. I would have stood up for you and you kind of right. throw me through the wolves. And that's, I feel like if you make the effort to actually watch the fucking show rather than have a knee-jerk reaction, you'll see that all these concerns that you might bring up are addressed in a far more thoughtful and interesting way than you might first expect off of a kind of knee-jerk reaction. Right. Um, glad we solved the world's race problems. <laughs> we didn't. <laughs> the, we show, didn't uh, the show itself is interesting because, and I don't know if you like this, but each episode kind of overlaps in a way. Each episode, as far as the first three go, is about one particular character in this group right. of uh, friends or acquaintances, and their stories semi-overlap while it looks like by the third episode we're still moving forward with our mm-hmm. progress. Um, the first three were about Plot-wise, Sam. not socially. Yeah, Sam, Lionel, and Troy. What do you think about that? What do you think about watching the same story over and over. I think it works. It, it, it's, it's all about how skillfully you do it. Like, you know, it's something that I freaking hate in The Walking Dead. It's something that I really celebrate and love about The Leftovers. And I think this show, because the perspectives are so radically different, you know, you've got this gay, nerdy black man. You've got this incredibly good looking, successful, politically uh, oriented black man who's also wealthy. And then you have a, Incredibly good-looking um, wo- uh, a woman from maybe not as privileged socioeconomic status, and she's there's got to be money for all of them somewhere. They're at an Ivy League school. True, true. Or they got they're really fucking smart and they got scholarships because you know right. that's still there's a little bit of upper mobility. But I did hear an NPR bit about that a while back that they they have a quota to fill of a certain amount of minority groups that they right. accept. So. Right. Um, but you know, I, I think that because the perspectives are so radically, I guess that's, that's why maybe, maybe that, maybe I just hit upon why the leftovers in this succeeds where the, where the walking dead fails because the walking dead, there's not that variety of perspectives. Everybody is got some form of dramatic PTSD and a very cynical, um, you know, world weary, uh, semi suicidal look outlook on life. And there's no. You don't get anything from a deep dive into Morgan's backstory that you wouldn't get in the deep dive from Carol or Daryl or... Right, but you're right. They did do that on Leftovers this week, too. You got Kevin Jr.'s perspective next, or I guess a couple weeks ago, and then the next episode was Kevin Sr., and you could tell that those stories did overlap right on top of each right. other. and then Nora, they're sandwiched in the middle. Not, right. Not on the show, well, plot-wise. Yeah, well, her episode came after. Well, it went Kevin Jr., Nora, Kevin Sr., and then... Back to, I guess, a blended Kevin Nora episode. Right. Synthesis. Uh, and I think that that was done a little bit 
better because with these episodes of uh, Dear White People, we're literally recycling a lot of shots to just see like, oh, yeah, remember when you saw him here? Here's what he was really thinking at this point. So here, let's show him again. Right. Um, but I guess I'm going to I guess I'm going to see how the rest of it plays out. But I also it, think it feels a little bit tedious. It, here's the part because I know what you're talking about. But also, I really enjoyed this part in the first episode where Lionel's explaining to Sam about how he hacked into the Facebook group and stole this thing. You look at you look at. Lionel and he's got this glasses and this big afro and he's kind of dressed like a nerd and you're like, oh, this is this. Of course, um, that ha- kid's a hacker. Yeah, and then you find out in an earlier episode that he is not like he is a big science fiction nerd because he's like dressed up as Jordy LaForge in a prom and got mm-hmm. beat up for it. And but he's not that kind of nerd. Uh, he's just parroting what he heard from the actual kind of you know. Well, that guy wasn't even a nerdy. Right. He was good looking, popular. Oh, that's true. It, and he was like the, uh, what do you call it? The editor, head editor of the, right. that school newspaper. Right. It's, and it's, he might be Italian or Jewish or Spanish or. Yeah, right. And that they play with that too, that kind of like, you know, the, 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 the blending of identities. But you're, you're right. The, 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 the joke of that is all of our expectations and how we judge people based purely on their looks and not, you know, what they're actually capable of, the content of the character, if you will. Right. Um, and I know there's, there's nothing as insufferable as two white folk trying to show how, how I guess passionate they are, um, or understanding or whatever. And I, I feel always kind of ridiculous when I do it. Um, but they, they also do, they also talk about that in the show too. Right. That like the tension between well-meaning white people that are kind of more or less on the right side, but still can't fully understand it, but try to say they do. And the people that are living it, um, I, it's, I, I just think it's, it, First of all and foremost, it's funny. And I also think it's pretty poignant and it feels real to me. Um and it's 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 made and created by people who have lived the experience, so I imagine all that truth is in there. Right. And the other interesting thing is is that once Sam was confronted with, you know, her own actions, uh honestly, with uh the way she was sort of being a hypocrite about dating a white man and saying that you're a race traitor if you do, is that she came around almost you know, immediately and understood right. that other perspective where, you know, some of the people where the show is probably falling on deaf ears that need to listen is that it's it's so much easier when you're in a one down, two down position to immediately accept other people's perspectives right. where it's just so hard to get through to people who just have the horse blinders on. I understand. And I, as a and, person, and what do you do to to open someone up to that without, you know, insulting them? Or making I mean, them feel bad. I think. Or guilty. I think it's really, I mean, there's a lot, cause I think it's important for, you know, I guess like, I'm not a perfect feminist, but what I try to do is take my experiences and, and I can in a way that is non-hostile and non-threatened and non-angry and defensive explain those perspectives to other people who just don't get it and refuse to. And, and they, you can tell that like they've had experiences with feminists that come off as shrill and defensive and mean spirited and, and, and they, they feel attacked and I'm able to kind of slip past those offenses and, and get to easiest way to shut someone down is to attack them. But, but, but that's, that's it's almost impossible not to, to attack when someone is essentially dismissing the truth of your existence. Right. So I guess it, it it's partly, you know, you have to have very 
smart and engaged people getting those perspectives out. You have to have people that are receptive to it that then go and take that back to their communities and be like, look, we do have a problem. You can't dismiss me because I am you, and I'm going to use your own language and your own experiences and experiences of, like, yes, it's it's really, like, I remember how hard and painful it is to deal with your own part in why society is fucked up. Like your like like the fact that yeah yeah you didn't ask for per, the, the, the different privileges that you have but uh, but you've got them and I don't know why it's so weird that um, it's so weird that that privilege term has been like this loaded thing because like everyone grew up with your mom and dad telling you to be thankful for the things that you have that like starving kids in Africa might not have right. or communist kids in China not have. And the, well, you, you know, you, you don't, you, you better take care of your shoes because there's a lot of kids out there. That is the concept of privilege. You have something that you don't even are aware of and are taking for granted that many other people don't have. And think of how much harder their life is. And here you are with that not hard thing or that hard thing removed from your life and you're acting ungrateful. Right. And privilege isn't necessarily meaning that you have access to all things and all knowledge that other people don't. It's just you have easier access to those things. Right. Like this popular argument of, of men saying that, you know, they're not more privileged than women because they don't go to the bar and get drinks bought for them. Right. I mean, it's, yeah. But that's, I mean, I think that's, that's the, the interesting thing. Now, I don't know how, because that's the, the unfortunate thing is there's not like, like, you know, a documentary that's trying to do some kind of thing. Like, it's rare that like something like Blackfish comes wrong and like most, like 99% of people look at it and are horrified and like, this has got to stop and you stop it. Well, they're animals. It's cute. I can relate. Well, and like, you know, no one, the thing about Blackfish is very few people, like, you might have gone and seen a SeaWorld performance, but you were ignorant of what you were doing, and um, you didn't personally go and, like, capture these whales and abuse them, and, and it's like, you know, now that you know the truth, of course, and I feel like that with race and gender and, and other constructs, we're taught those in school. Like, we're taught about the Civil War, and we're taught about civil rights, and we think we know and we think that maybe like if you grew up in certain areas of the country, you might think that like those are things that were fought over a long time ago and everything's all good now. You know, there's black, there's a, there's, there's a black and an Indian kid and a white kid and mm-hmm. an Asian kid on the, on the cover of my social studies book. So everything's cool now. Right. And then you grow up and you, you realize Become it's not. Become president of the United States. <laughs> and, and, and you realize it's not and you don't want to hear that and you want to dismiss them as like, oh, well, these people, like with all the advantages that they've been given, with all the blood that's been shed and all the strife and they're still whining about things not being equal, what the fuck? Also, Things haven't been so easy for me and my, it, it's, it's that kind of thing. And I don't, certainly don't know how to, um, I don't know how to, I don't have the, uh, hey, I, I don't have the solution for, uh, institutional racism in the world. Um, and it's unfortunate that everything that is created in art and, you know, history and, um, do, like documentaries, they're not created for everyone. Like a documentary pitched for someone who has done all of the foundational work and is ready for the next level to kind of uncover the next kind of unfucked up thing. If a person just walks on the street and, and, and has not had that foundational understanding, they're going to be horrified and they're going to think, oh, this is a whole bunch of bullshit and these people hate America. 
And you see a lot of that to dear white people. Like, dear white people is not a primer. It's it, not the answer or the solution at all. It certainly can get you a, a, a lot of starting places to begin that inquiry, but you have to, you have to be pretty fucking tough and, you know, uh, like stick it out and, you know, you're going to hear a lot of things that make you feel uncomfortable and things that make you angry and things that make you sad about yourself and your situation, but, that's that's uh you know it's better than sticking your hand in head in the sand but overall i think it's a good show yeah. <laughs> and uh highly recommend it's funny it's cute uh if nothing else everyone is incredibly beautiful so yes go for that we can all agree on that uh shall we talk about i want to talk about uh handmaid's tale because Amer- here's the thing about american gods i don't have much to say because the first episode washed over me like a tsunami and it was, uh, it was an orgy what? of Wait. sights and sounds let's, and let's, I, I, cause I don't want to, I, I don't want to have to time code this for American Gods. Let's move to Handmaid, Handmaid's Tale. Okay. Uh, which is a television series, uh, based on the 1985 novel called Hand, The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret, Margaret Atwood. Atwood, a Canadian author. Uh, we've had four episodes. The first three episodes dropped on Hulu, uh, two Wednesdays ago. And then they're going to do one episode a week from here on out. Um, what I'll let you kind of explain and talk about this, and then we'll see where the conversation goes. Yeah. Um, if you are not familiar, it's a show about a dystopian future where um, women are basically enslaved. If not, well, I think even the uh, commander's wives are conform to this new oh, standard sure. of living. They they might be in a better situation, but no one is happy. Right, you have the if you're you a know, woman in this society. Commanders' wives, you have uh, Martha's which are like uh, maids, they do all the cooking, cleaning, things like that, and then you have the handmaids which have the sole purpose of bearing children in a world where children just aren't coming anymore. Yeah. Even even a lot of the handmaids themselves are having trouble conceiving or bringing a, a baby to full term. If it comes full term, then one out of four babies live. Mm-hmm. So that's this woman, this woman's life. It's about, um, or the star is, uh, Elizabeth Moss as Alfred. Mm-hmm. Which you might, um, you might remember as, uh, Peggy, Peggy from, from Mad Men. Mad Men. Right. Um, and it's a, it's a really hard show to watch, especially in this, current political climate i think with uh you know women's rights science all kinds of things under under fire throughout the show you get sort of uh glimpses because no one's allowed to read or educate themselves anymore you get glimpses of what you know the rest of the world is up to i guess it's just certain parts of america that are that are under this uh this weird gilead regime yeah it's like a martial theocratic state kind of a hyper strict catholic but you know if you're a doctor a priest a lesbian i wouldn't say it's ha- it's anything actually, i like think it's that. the opposite i think it's it's hyper protestant it's like a return to puritanism because right. I, it's the priests that are outlawed like a catholic priest we at one point we see a homosexual a doctor and a catholic priest um bodies hung up on the wall as for public display right as right. enemies of the state yeah 
it doesn't seem in the TV show. It doesn't seem like uh, skin color is really a defining factor. I heard that in the book that that that's more of a thing that like all of the minorities have been rounded up and and moved to kind of like the southern Midwest part of the United States to work in a slave camp. Right. Um, they don't really do that in the show, though. Right. So you know, it starts with them trying to uh, with uh, the main character trying to escape to Canada, which is still a safe zone. You know, sometime in the series, the oranges show up at the supermarket, so you can see that they're still fighting throughout parts of America. Um, and it's just uh, difficult to watch, I think. So I can only imagine that it's, um, I guess, a few years into, maybe two years, I'm going to guess, by the length of her hair. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's really hard because we open up, on the series with the woman that we find out uh, who who will be called Offred and even her name is of Fred. Fred is the commander she's assigned to. They they get stripped of their names and they're named after their their male I guess owners. Um and she's she's fleeing with her husband trying to get across to the Canadian border where there's safety and refuge from this craziness and they're hunted down and captured and her little 2-3-year-old girl is taken from her mm-hmm. and she's put into the uh the handmaid's uh order the red center and um the other thing is they throw you into this world with no real world building no um because they've said that this is offered second assignment and we don't know what the significance of that second does that mean that she successfully carried an, a baby to term for another commander did she fail to conceive mm-hmm. um there is a new there's a there's a another shoe dropped in his latest episode where one of the doctors who was going after caring for Alfred opined that it's the men who are largely sterile but and the they, handmaids who are punished and for it's it. the women who are, are punished for being barren. It's all about their wombs opening or being closed or receiving or not receiving. And the men, all they have to do is thrust and grunt and their, their job is done. Mm-hmm. It's also very, it's so weird how clinical this, like the ritual is like, uh, the, the, I forget what they call it. The, it might be the called ceremony. Like the ceremony where, uh, they have the handmaid lay between the legs of the commander's wife while she holds her wrist. While she holds her wrist and the commander stands at the foot of the bed and kind of looks off, like, like almost like he's assuming a, um, And I'm not sure if this is the experience for all the ceremonies, but he, or this is how they do it. That's particular. what I'm saying. Like we don't have, I mean, we're just throwing this world. I'm just describing it to you. This, the commander assumes what looks like a test for, like, like the doctor says, cough for me, please. Right. That kind of hands on the hips, head over to the side. This, and, and he. Everyone fully clothed. And and all the household staff there to watch it. Yeah. And it's just really weird. Right. And it's just so uh, casual for everyone but Alfred, who's just trying to deal with this repeated trauma. You know, everyone it's, shows up and they all comment genteel... on how they're they're late and people have things to do and their lives to get on with. And it's like Downton Abbey if the dinner if the dinner ceremony revolved around just a matter of fact rape. Of one of the servant girls. Right. Which actually Downton Abbey did do that in one did season, they? didn't they? <laughs> you know, Mrs. Bates. Yeah. Um, poor Anna. Um, but, but it's just really, um, I don't know. It's like the difference between someone, it, it's like the reason like, uh, that one scene in, um, uh, Saving Private Ryan is so disturbing where the German kill, the officer is killing the American and he's just like, shh. shh 
and like you know being very gentle and quiet about st- sticking the knife in his heart mm-hmm. that's like harder to take than like something in Fast and the Furious or like the Expendables or people are just getting blown apart by bullets and stuff to right. the the bloodlessness of it and the complete domination is it's what's really fucked up so yes as the story moves forward we get these uh we get these scenes from her past life uh intermixed with you know uh when they first were inducted into the red center she meets her friend moira there and who's played by samira wiley yes which I, I'm that that's one of the reasons i think they were smart to do away with the racism part of it because that you know if you had a story where Anyone that's not white is off screen. You wouldn't have any room for a Samara Wiley to be awesome. Right. But it's, it's, it's strange because I don't think there's any other people of color I've seen. Not so far. It's, you know, it kind of stood out to me when she, uh, dressed like an aunt and she was the only black aunt I've ever seen. And mm-hmm. I feel like that would be, and she's also quite young. Right. So it seemed like that would be a red flag, but she just moved on to the train. Yeah. Um, we don't know what happened to her. Which, by the way, that performance that um, Peggy, uh, <laughs> Elizabeth uh, Moss. Moss gave where she is, like, telling um, Moira to leave, to leave her because she's been detained and things aren't going well with her eyes. And she's, like, you know, thinking hopeful thoughts. And as soon as Moira commits, like, her face of, like, oh, yay, I'm, I'm happy for you turns to this, like, just all-consuming anguish that now she's missed she's her stuck. opportunity. Yeah. And it's so good. Right. And uh her daughter has been taken away from her. We see her walk past the school with some older children. So it seems like they took all of the children from before and are raising them up to be handmaids, Martha's, whatever they are. Uh-huh. Um, her husband seems to have gotten shot and killed. But we never see his body, so I'm right. wondering if that'll come back eventually. Yeah, me too. Any, I, I, I mean, I've been conditioned by the golden age of television to think that if someone's killed off screen, they're going to show up later on. Now, I've been right. burnt by that a lot, but more often than not, it does pay off. Right. I mean, it's just like uh, the things that are most haunting are, and affecting are the things you don't see. Right. And that like might... the woman who occupied the house before Alfred scratched um, some Latin into the closet. Right. Like you you don't have to see what happened to her to get the impact and the, you know, feelings that it brought forward into Offred and us as the audience. Yeah. And like, there's even some of this, it's so interesting to see. Cause one of the things that happens is the commander, uh, contrary to everything that we've been taught, invites Offred to his parlor late at night, which is with, something that you don't do. And well, yeah. And no one else is aware in the house and he invites her to play Scrabble which has her admit that she can read and she is and you know and she lets him win and does all these other things but she's she the other thing is this makes the rare good use of internal narration where we hear Alfred's thoughts and as she's thinking like calculating things and she's also you know this is the same episode that she found the scratching on the wall that is in Latin don't let the bastards get you down grind you uh, down oh grind you down yeah um they, uh, she, she's thinking like as she's playing Scrabble with the commander, it's like, did you, you know, this other, the other Offred, did you do this? Did you, how did you mess this up? Did you just, just fail to bear a child? Did you say something wrong? Did you beat him? Uh, what, what caused this mask of, you know, camaraderie and compassion to, to, to fall away and you be driven out? And, um, 
I mean, usually internal monologues are kind of cheesy. It's it's a rare thing that can pull them off. I feel like this does it pretty well. Right. Um not sure what the show would be like if we didn't get a glimpse inside of her head, but you know, she's doing some really powerful acting with just one bone in her neck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, cuz she's just so taut, right? Yeah. Um and she's and scared to, to death. Be. Like you have to and it's interesting because and, there's um they're paired up. Anytime the handmaids leave the house, they have to leave in pairs. So everyone's each other's spy. Everyone's each other's spy. And there's this one of the interesting things in the first episode is how much Offred despises, um, is it Off Glenn? Yeah. Uh, her assignment, who's played by Alexis Bledel, which you might know as, uh, the youngest of the Gilmore girls. Right. Um, and. She hates her because they, you know, she's just so pious. Because she's doing the same thing she's doing. And, but, but she realizes that, you know, in the second episode that she's just doing what she's doing, which is saying what you suppose, you're supposed to say because you can't tell who can be trusted. Right. They eventually kind of let their hair down and, you know, befriend each other. And then you find (laughs) out that of Glenn is actually a lesbian. And then she's actually, um, I don't, uh, you know, if you, if you know where this is going, you do. And if, if you're, I don't want to spoil it too much for you, but she trusted she eventually, one too many people. She, tr- she must have trusted some one too many people, but she's also our glimpse into a, a larger world because she proclaims that she's a member of the resistance, that there's some kind of underground resistance. And she informs of Offred that there's actually a spy inside her household. Uh, one of the, the terrifying eyes, the secret kind of Stasi's secret service, uh, of the society. Um, and and I, right. I and I remember when I was before I'd watched this, I was listening to Andy and uh, Chris talk on the Ringer, the Watch podcast, and they're like, "Oh man, we really had no idea Alexis Bledel could be this good." And I've seen her in a lot of things. I love Gilmore Girls. I thought she was really bad in Mad Men and almost everything else I've seen her in. So I was skeptical. Because I feel like she's got her lane and she just can't get out of it. But she is really good. Did you think she was good? Yeah, I think everyone's bringing something really powerful to the table. Um, I'm simultaneously reading the book as well as watching the show. I'm sort of reading them side by side. When I read up to a part where we're at in the show, I'll sort so of put it that, down for a while. What's that experience like? Um, is it What's the book compared to the show? The book is a lot more dry. Okay. It's it doesn't have the sort of colorful um internal dialogue that uh offered in the show has, you know, such as when Nick says, "Are you off to the market?" and she makes a quip about, "No, I'm going to go throw some back in her head." And she just says, "Blessed be the fruit." Something like that. Um So we don't have that kind of, you know, pithy modern woman dialogue inside her head. We don't. It's just a lot of um, you know, straightforward factual telling about how things are now and you know her looking back on her previous life and you know and it's much more sad it's much more sad but also very dry if that makes sense mm-hmm. she you know Kinda describes like the, lo- the leftovers novel versus the leftover tv show right she describes you know things that she did before her life before in a sort of way that makes you think that maybe she, it's starting to get to her head maybe she does feel guilty that you know she that's a well-known psychological phenomenon. Right. I don't want to give anything away in the book, but, you know, just sort of uh, there's, a, there's a term for that. Not yeah. Stockholm Syndrome, but something more like that where, where you start to identify with your captor. I That's guess exactly that is Stockholm, Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> but she, but, I mean, she's still got this um, resilient part of her that's still resisting being right. captured. You know, the, the scratching of don't let the bastards grind you down helps a lot. Um, 
They also changed the characters quite a bit. Like like you said, the it was the book was written in 1987. 85. 85. Um, it's very white, which mm-hmm. I guess you can identify with if you were in 1987. Mm-hmm. Um, the commander and his wife, most of the commanders and their wives are much older. They aged them down and made them much more beautiful in the show. That's a very Hollywood thing to do, sure. Exactly. So is there a little bit of, like, with the commander and the com- commander's wife being much older, I mean, is that a much... So it may, in the book... A very it, stronger allusion to the Bible where, like, Abraham and, I, uh, and, Sarah. And, and Sarah have no business having children. They're, like, in their 90s. Right. So is, they, is, is it just biologically impossible for these kids to have, or these people to have children and they're... Exactly. So in the Ren Center, they tell us that it's because of, you know, radioactive waste and, mm-hmm. you know, the way that the world started to run. Um, a lot of climate change deniers right. that made it physically impossible for you to not have children anymore. Where in the book, it makes it seem more like it's just the older people they put in charge need children to continue. So they're harvesting the young, fertile women. Huh. But again, halfway through the it's book, I'll figure it out. Yeah, because it's interesting because there's this um, there's this political thought that the young people are going to be our savior if you're um, a liberal progressive. That like young people don't believe in racism, young people don't believe in sexism. And what I've seen as I get older is that there's a fresh crop of racist and sexist people born every generation. Right. There's... It's not that the young people monolithically agree to this or that they're not going to then be moderated as they start to have, like, I don't, I mean, may, maybe, maybe the needle of progress is swinging towards, you know, uh, the, the, the right way consistently, but I don't, I'm not so sure anymore. I'm not so sure that if we don't let our guard down and we let slip standards of education and public discourse that, a whole generation of racist, sexist fucks will not They'll, not rise up and take their place. I think we just come up, each generation comes up with new prejudices and new ways to put each other down because that's just kind of the human experience. And I'm not justifying it, but no, but, it, but we'll find new ways to hate each other. We it, always do. It's was well, I'm saying they re- rediscover old ways because Margaret Atwood maybe from what and this I haven't read the books. I'm just going from your judgment. It almost sounds like that. Maybe her fear was the old folks, instead of just dying off, would find other ways to keep perpetuating their species. Um, and I'm what I'm saying right, is yeah. that I don't know that that's necessary because the same societal pressures that form them are they they're you know history is cyclical and you know like Russ Cole says time is a flat circle. <laughs> uh, maybe we're doomed to, to repeat all these these um, problems because we take our eye off the ball. That's true, and it's. Um... Particularly affecting for me because, well, Elizabeth Moss is just absolutely killing it in this role, but it's just, it's very easy. I know we talked a lot about, you know, social issues with the dear white people, but it's just very difficult and exhausting to be anyone who's in a minority position. Mm Mm-hmm. And I've only got a very small fraction of that to watch this kind of thing happen with the current president we have. Right. And I well, know you have a man to protect you. <laughs> and I know no that we're unescorted out in the streets to be taken advantage. Of. <laughs> There's no way that they, you know, wrote the show and shot everything in December. Right. So the fact that they did this last year or maybe the year before when they started to come up with this idea and the fact that it's dropping now is just, um, very affecting. So if you're watching it, just well, be prepared. It's, it's for also that. funny. Cause I, 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 I forced myself to read, um, 
conservative sites like Red State mm-hmm. um, to kind of like you know to not to, to, to do my part to like introduce you know, other perspectives just, into your life. Just not keep, let let myself bubble up because there's bubbles on both sides. There's liberal bubbles, conservative bubbles. Um, it's arguable that the people ag- accusing the liberals of living in bubbles on the coast are not aware of the fact that they're in a bubble that most of Western the Western world is in another bubble. It's not just the coast of America. It's Australia. It's Canada. It's the UK. It's France. It's Germany. It's like everybody but you guys, uh, they're in this other bubble. But um, I, I read an article where Red State was like, oh, yes, the liberals are all on a Twitter about, uh, you know, the Handmaid's Tale and, you know, how concerned they are about the way America's going. And what they don't understand is the the, the ultimate defense against the Handmaid's Tale is small government. And I'm like, okay, so my choice is enslaving women or socialized or, or, or access to socialized medicine. <laughs> like really? I can't, I can't, I can't have my cake and eat it too. I can't have, you know, a robust government that can take care of, uh, you know, public good and also not have it run amok and enslave women and minorities. Like I kind of think we can do both. Right. And I'm but not it's think- those episodes where they just completely discount. Like, like they don't want to, like, like, I mean, to me, uh, a, re- a retort to The Handmaid's Tale would be to identify how uh, conservative ideology is not in opposition to any of the ideals espo- espoused in that. Right. Like, like, you know, it's not to be like, well, you just don't, of course we'll want to do that, but you put small government in place and we won't be able to. Like, right. what the fuck? I, I can't believe I'm reading this. I don't think anyone believes that this is the way the country's headed. And if you do, then that's just that's, I just say, that's the wrong kind it of It does thinking. seem like there is a and I got myself embroiled into it as well, there's this discussion of can this happen here? And I don't think cautionary tales, like that's their prime it's their not their prime purpose is to convince you that it can or can't and to scare you, frighten you. It's almost it's 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 a way another way to open up a dialogue or to empower people to take action. Um regardless of whether it gets this bad. Right. And I think it's very, you know, I think what they're trying to say here mostly is that it's baby steps. You know, they kind of are revealing this backstory. It's, you know, one day it's one small thing and then the next day it's another small thing. And those things build up into one uh, future that we don't want. It doesn't benefit anyone. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know, and I, I wonder if they'll continue because the one thing I guess that um, the reason I get kind of embroiled because I, I do spend a lot of time as I'm watching it thinking, oh, surely to God somebody would do something at this stage. It's like it doesn't seem like they've done a very good job of showing that slow frog boil. It's literally like a coffee barista called them whores and then their job their jobs are taken away and their that same day their bank accounts are confiscated and transferred over to the the next male kin yeah you know what i'm saying like there yeah. wasn't like what is the legislate like there's there's got to have been a lot of other or you know maybe it's just a violent and that's part of just being dropped in the world and i hope that they maybe build that out because it i don't know we're talking about you know how not all pieces of art can be for everybody but i'm always looking for ways that it can be a little bit more inclusive to different perspectives or a little bit more armored towards being dismissed by the people that should watch it and i think that's one of the ways that like if you could convincingly show that you could get from you know 2017 to this kind of puritanical dystopia 
that would be that would be helpful. It'd be a, 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 a lot more people would be on the conversation because what I've seen on the internet is the people that are really having meaningful conversations about this are the people are the choir. Right. Now the choir needs to be energized and the choir needs to know what its rights are and needs to, to, to stand up to things and, and needs to not be asleep at the switch and all those other things. But it also seems like it would be beneficial if maybe more people were, were swayed by it or moved by it. Right. So all we can do is continue to create these pieces of art, Handmaid's Tale, Dear White People, the 13th on Netflix, for fuck's sake, go watch it. Right. And just try to not let history repeat itself. That would be nice. That would be nice. Um, shall we talk about American Gods? Because yes. it looks amazing. It looks amazing. I got from American Gods that there is a, uh, Ian McShane is a Norse god and Pablo, Pab- Pablo Schreiber is a, a, a very large bellicose leprechaun. With, they're all types of gods, so some sort of leprechaun, leprechaun. There was god. a buffalo that was on fire and there, <laughs> this all swirls around the leading man who is I can't I'm 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 closing my eyes and trying to remember what he looks like and I keep on coming up with a guy who's from Prison Break. <laughs> like it's just the default setting for dude. It's just a glowering, glowering uh yeah. stubble ridden, shaved head, ex-con, ex-con, bristling muscles. So we've seen that, exactly one episode of this show. Yes, and it's like I said earlier, it's just a lot of lights, colors, sounds. It's it's insane. It's stars, so that'll set your barometer, I think. It, but it looks it looks great, and it's yeah, it it's does. well acted, and it's got really crackling dialogue and situations. It's just I don't know what to make of it yet. Right, and it's got such a good pedigree already that I'm in for everyone involved, except well for the star. I haven't seen him in anything. Would you like to talk but, about the pedigree? Do you know? Because yes, it's got well, you said Pablo Schreiber, uh-huh. uh, Ian McShane from Deadwood. It's got uh, Emily Browning. Who's been in a lot of things, including <laughs> Sucker Punch, which you gotcha. love. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I um, do. I'm number one fan. <laughs> it's Zach got, Snyder can do no wrong. <laughs> Kristen Chenoweth. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got uh, Crispin Glover. No kidding. Yeah, Crispin. he hasn't shown up yet. No, he think. hasn't. Um, it's uh, from the pedigree. So I was talking about. It was based on a book by Neil Gaiman. Oh, Neil Gaiman. Yeah. Who I'm not a huge fan. I mean, I, I'm I'm not a huge fan of that because I hate him. It's just I'm very unfamiliar with his work. So, right. but I know the people that are, are like really excited about this kind of. Right. I have a few books on it of his on my shelf right now, but I haven't read this particular one. Uh-huh. So, and I'm not going to. Maybe after same the here. Series people ends. ask me if I'm going to, and I'm like, I'm going to wait until it's over because right. my experience is. It's much easier to go from a fan of the adaptation to a fan of the original work. Right. It seems like people just get bitter and pissed about the original work getting adapted to anything. Right. And the reason I even started watching, reading The Handmaid's Tale is because I, this show is one of the first I can think of in a long time where I just can't wait until next week. Like if you, right. if you put, uh, if you 
offered me the next episode of The Handmaid's Tale, I would give you a blank check. Uh-huh. Um, so that's just my way of getting Plus, more in my <laughs> life. But the- my, my experience with my relationship with you is when if we're watching something that's like su- super high concept, <laughs> like 30 minutes in, I'll be like, man, where is this going? And I look over and you're on your phone on Wikipedia reading the plot synopsis. Because <laughs> you just can't. You can't. You, you want to know. You want to well, know. I mean, for things that I don't plan on watching twice, but I want to understand as it's going through the first time and so I don't miss anything, I, uh, I do do that. So it's kind of like. I just like to enrich my experience and get all angles. It's a second screen experience. Exactly. The Handmaid's Tale, I haven't read ahead and I'm not going to. It's just one of those things where it's, uh. We'll see if. What the, do you call it? I'm edging myself. You're- <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> hmm, I wonder what the so, uh, the aunts would say about that. <laughs> um, you get uh, your clitoris cut off for sure. But we're talking about American Gods. We're gonna keep we're gonna keep watching it, and we're gonna keep bald move TVing it. Uh-huh. Correct. Yeah, I think about I every two weeks. Every two weeks, right when now. we get two new episodes of uh, American Gods and uh, Handmaid's Tale, we'll come back and talk about it. And then and we also might, when we get finished wrapping up uh, Dear White People, we might get our overall thoughts on that. And I also want to talk about Sense Eight, which is coming back on Friday. Okay, and you might be the only. Can you do a solo podcast? Because I haven't seen the first season. I'm just going to talk about it on Bald Move TV with you. Okay, I'll that's just cool. talk at you. That's I, that's that's a. A novel experience because usually I'm the talkie and or I'm the talker and Jim's the the talk added and uh, yeah. I, I, it's rare that the well sometimes he goes on about the reality show he's watching and I'm like what I mean he's watching Sensei I would love to talk That's to him true. about maybe it maybe you guys can do a podcast yeah I don't know future plans yeah the other thing is uh, we've got um now nah, I don't want to promise that yet no don't do that we might uh yeah we might might we've got other things in the works we got Ooh. other things bubbling in the cauldron. Uh, now we're edging the audience. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, don't finish yourselves. Um, so that's it. If you, so I want to kind of bring back, cause I think that there is enough meat to these conversations and these are going to be ones we're having regularly enough that I want to kind of bring back the, uh, the young Pope, um, feedback loop. Uh, that we actually t- had some feedback in our episode. Right. So if you want to send email about Handmaid's Tale or American Gods or Dear White People or whatever, uh, you want to fight with us, you want to praise us, you want to discuss with us, uh, do it at TV. You want to give us your perspective. TV at baldmove.com. And, uh, I, you know, I've, as always, I can't promise to read them all, but, uh, or actually read them all on air. I will read them all. Um, but, uh, we'll be looking for, for perspectives to, to, to talk about. And we and will promise to stay woke. Stay woke? Yeah. We should, uh, maybe play the Childish Gambino out. Yeah. Good idea. Out. Yeah. Uh, seconded and motion hold. So we will see you in about two weeks for the next two episodes of American Gods and Handmaid's Tale. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Cecily. See ya.